1: all right hey we're live uh i'm doing another interview in and i'm in my son's room now folks and instead of bringing brian up we're going to get right into it because i know he has stuff to do so we're gonna start talking right away i'm really pleased to have brian hicks with me brian is a uh chicago area comic that has been doing it for years and uh, he's got uh, a, a really great album on Spotify that I listened to that I can't remember the name of. But uh, well, yeah, dibs. dips. Yeah. Um, I listened to that a couple of times through while I was driving and really liked it. And I do want to talk about that a little bit because there is some interesting parts in there that uh, you wouldn't normally hear on a comedy album. Um, <laughs> and um, also uh, Brian's got a dry bar special that just came out in May that is really, really good. And I want to talk about dry bar a little bit. Thanks for being on the show, Brian. I appreciate it. Yeah, no,
0: thanks for having me. I was very excited when uh, you reached out and uh, I was looking forward to it. So this is great.
1: Yeah, and one of the things I want to talk about the reason why I reached out to you was because I re-listened to an interview I did with Michael Palisak, who's one, one of my favorite comics, and he was uh, he was on the last I think the last season, the last comic standing. Um, him and Ian Bag, and I was I talked to both of them at uh, different times, but uh, I really enjoy his style of comedy. It's a little little out there, but um, super squeaky clean, obviously. Obviously, and yeah. I just really like his point of view. But one of the things I asked him, because he really came up in Chicago and did, did a lot of work there at Zany's, um, I asked him who were the comics that uh, were influential to him and also helped him along the way and he mentioned you, and then he mentioned a couple other comics, and then he mentioned you again. So you obviously stuck out as somebody who was not just another comic vying for stage time, but somebody who actually helped him out. And he really appreciated that. So one of the things that I ask comics about what they've learned from comics who have helped them out is I, I ask them that what what have they learned and what do you gain from it? So one of the things I wanted to ask you being the veteran comic and being the helper comic, who, instead of, instead of saying you, you little shits get out of my yard. Um, uh, you, you, you were actually nice and helpful and, um, obviously made an impact, not, probably not, not only on Michael, but a, a lot of different people. Um, What do you gain from that? Because there's got to there's got to be a two way street. And I'm wondering what you gain from being a good guy to other comics.
0: Yeah, sure. So uh, it's funny you say that and mention other comics because, um, you know, I've been doing it for over 20 years and uh, I'll I'll run into people now who who will say, hey, I, I worked with you 10 years ago when I started and you know the memory only is, is so good you know i met him once uh-huh. or something like that so yeah. my first question to everybody is um well was i nice to you you know that's always the first thing i want to know yeah <laughs> and, uh, so far so far the answer has been unanimous unanimously yes i have been nice to them um, yeah. In mike's case i think uh you know i was relatively new to comedy i think when i first met mike i was maybe three or four years into it maybe mm-hmm. five years and so it was all really new and it was fresh to me. And there were a lot of lessons that I, I learned in those, you know, four or five years that I thought were really, really good, especially um, coming from somebody who just started. So passing that on to Mike, who I thought was incredibly funny, right, right out of the box and, and young. And uh, it, it's easy to have that mindset. Uh, hey, you know, go here, move on, go find yeah. somewhere else to do it. But I've always really been a fan of comedy before I even became a comedian. I used to go to the comedy club probably two or three times a month. Um, Mm. And my family growing up in that uh, atmosphere, it was always, um, you know, one upping the other one at the dinner table. So I've always been a fan of comedy. And I think first and foremost, if you have that mentality, then it's easy to want to see people who are funny succeed and help them. You know, Mike was funny, so I didn't help him write jokes or anything like that. I just kind of, um, gave him some advice on some of the other things as we went along.
1: Right. Like booking and yeah, actually and, getting paid and things yeah, like sure. that. <laughs>
0: and, and I, I was, I was probably, um, I, as you mentioned, I'm kind of borderline, um, PG, I can go a little harder PG if I want to. Um, I can go a little cleaner if I want to, too. Um, mm-hmm. Mike was always clean and I think he, he, he probably asked me about that. And, um, my advice was, um, always write clean if you can, because obviously it's a lot easier to write dirty jokes, but you're going to get more work, um, by doing clean sets because, Mm -hmm. you know, headliners or features or whoever's going to bring you on the road with them. Um, they prefer you're cleaner than dirtier and Uh you're going to get a lot more work if you were cleaner. So that was always my mindset. And that was definitely one of the pieces of advice I gave to anybody who was willing to, willing to ask me for it. I'm like, well, write clean if you can. Um, just because you're definitely going to get more work out of it and, and more people see you and then they're willing to take you on the road with them because they know they know where the show could go from there opposed yeah. to it starts dirty and then there's really only one way you can go with it
1: right right have you do you feel like you've gained anything by being a nice guy rather than being the either standoffish or just like get out of my yard type guy
0: yeah I I, I absolutely believe in karma and um, okay you know the nicer i am to people uh it just seems more opportunities come my way Mm -hmm. and uh you know it's easy as a comic to always compare with other people and you know Mm -hmm. look at that guy's doing that and he's doing that um but i'm sure at the same time they're probably looking at some of the things i'm doing and they're saying hey look at brian he's doing that and he's doing that um so i've been pretty fortunate of uh people who've helped me along the way too, you know, you ask, Mm -hmm. why did I do it? It's because that's how I got to where I was. I got more work from people bringing me along with them to do a club for the first time. And then you, obviously it's on you, you have to do well. And then two, after that, it's on you to get rebooked there. You got to follow up. So I didn't, yeah. um, I didn't rely on one guy to take me everywhere. And then when he was going back out on the road, be like, Hey, can you take me again? You know, it yeah. was on me to do a good job and then obviously follow up and, and make the connections and the contacts.
1: Right. Right. It's funny. I, I've been in sales since I had hair. And the, um, uh, one book I read, I, I read so many sales books, but one book I read that, totally changed my life, not not necessarily just in sales, but my life in general. It's called the go giver. And what it is, it's uh, it's about the sales guy that, you know, sales can be a lot of quid pro quo, you know, you, you do this for me and I'll do this for you. And, and the guy, this is almost written like a fable. And the, the guy in this book just gave and gave and gave, you know, he, he would consult, he, he would, he would give people, you know, stuff that is worth money to other consultants. And it would, um, always turn around that he got a bunch of business because of it sure. but he but he didn't always get the business from the people that he helped it was sometimes he'd get referrals and stuff and, and things like that and yeah. i i've really taken that to heart and under and understood the fact without getting bitter that you can give a lot and you don't necessarily get back from the people you give to sometimes sure. but just being open to to the giving makes you more open to receiving and people tend to gravitate towards you because of that. Yeah. And I know that's really super hippy dippy stuff but you know since I have adopted it it's really changed my life and I feel like the because of that, I get more opportunity. I, you know, I, when I reach out to people like you, you just say yes, and I don't have to answer a ton of questions about what my podcast is about and stuff like that. So I just, I just feel like it's really helpful to be a giving type of person rather than one of those people that is either quid pro quo or just closes themselves off totally.
0: Yeah. And you know what, it, it also works both ways too. So if you have to be willing to receive that information. And yeah. I truly remember Mike as being somebody who wanted to learn how to do it, what to do, what to do yeah. in situations and how to handle himself. So you really have to be open to that um, to be able to take the advice because I, I, I there's definitely been times where I've offered advice when it wasn't asked of me. And uh-huh. I can usually see the expression on the person's face. I'm, they're looking at me like, "Why are you telling me this?" Yeah, and I guess it, it you know, because I'm like, "Whoa," you know. In my mind, I'm like, because I think you're good, and I think I can help you. You know, things that I had to learn going along. But at the same time, I, I, I tend to wait until somebody asks me now before I give uh-huh. advice, um, because sometimes it could be it could be construed the wrong way, and they're they think yeah. I'm being preachy or I'm above them, and I'm, I'm certainly not. You know, it's yeah. uh, everything I tell somebody is to help help, you know, the situation if possible. Um, but if they're not open, then they're not open. I don't uh, hold grudges or anything. You know, even when you uh, give somebody, if, if you're standing in the back of the room, you hear a joke and you think of a good line for somebody. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm very, very, really weary about that as well. Um, so I always try to say, hey, I heard you do this joke and I thought about this line. And then I always go after and say, Hey, if you want to use it, great. And if you don't, you know, you're not going to hurt my feelings or anything. Because uh-huh. some people, uh, they accept stuff like that, and some people, they they really don't want any part of it.
1: Right, right. And and you know, those people just aren't ready for it yet. As right. I think at some time they will be. So, you know, being being a veteran like you are, you know, twenty plus years, and when you 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 met Michael, it was uh, you know three, four, five years in. When, at what point did you say, hey, I'm going to do this and this is going to be my career?
0: Um, Well, honestly, the first time I ever, uh, so where I got my start was I worked at a comedy club, Um, the comedy club that I used to go to all the time. Um, Something happened in my life where it changed things a little bit and then I had some free time. Mm-hmm. And I got a job at the comedy club working as a doorman. I became uh, the floor manager working the lights, the sounds, and everything. Um, so I was a, a big fan of comedy. Um, I used to have a very good um, exchange with comedians as they'd come through. Always very friendly and always mm-hmm. admired them. I mean, really. And uh, there were a few occasions where they, they would say, hey, you know, you want to be a comedian, as we would go back and forth and joke. And uh, I never thought that for anything because – standing up there in a room full of 300 people just by yourself I couldn't even imagine what that was right uh-huh. I, I nothing I wanted I didn't want any piece of that but um, something happened and the wait staff had talked me into going up one night so I prepared uh, it was about two weeks and I wrote some jokes and I went on stage uh, for the first time it was a Saturday night late show and uh, I, I just remember I was up there I don't know 12 minutes or something which is probably unheard of for your first time on stage yeah but I just I just remember walking off thinking I gotta figure out how to get back up here again like I hadn't planned yeah. past that day but as I was up there and enjoying it I was walking off thinking well I've got to do this again so I think mm-hmm. that was really the point where I'm like I can do this you know and uh, so I think the being afraid that was a target up there kind of got out of my head a little bit. Um, I, you know, there were still some times where I would go up there and somebody would yell something and I'd panic and, and, you know, early on. Um, but, uh, once I started getting some laughs and stuff, I thought, well, I can really do this. So that's what Mm -hmm. kind of inspired me to just look more into it.
1: Mm -hmm. So thinking about when you were, you know, okay, I'm, I'm full-time comedian now. Did you start working like with an agency to get booked or did you go out and do all that on your own?
0: So the good part of being in Chicago is I think if you are looking to be a working comedian, I think Mm -hmm. the Midwest is where you want to live. Um, Mm -hmm. If you're looking to be discovered, if you're looking to act, if you're looking to do anything else, then definitely go to LA, go to New York. But if you want to work as a working comedian, the Midwest is, is, I mean, there is so much around here. I mean, when mm-hmm. I started, there were, uh, you know, three different zanies local um, mm-hmm. and, and more clubs started adding on. So I uh, got in good with most of the local clubs and started doing sets at all them. And then uh, there was a booking agency in Michigan that I started doing work for, and they had quite a bit of work and it was all one, two, three, three one nighters in a row and they would link them together. So I've never had any representation, um, but I've made some incredible contacts over the years with some people who've booked multiple things. And um, so that's kind of what I've, I've done to, uh, to support it. And, uh, you know, luckily I've, I've done pretty well and b- I've been able to fill a calendar for a, a good amount of time now.
1: Yeah. And, and I do want to compliment you on your website and your calendar because it's actually up to date. And <laughs> I, I, <agree laughs> I go to you. a lot of comedians websites <laughs> and I, I'm seeing 2016 stuff there. and <laughs> That is one thing
0: that I, uh, when I first, <laughs> it's funny you say that because when I first got, excuse me when i first got a website my friend made it for me and any dates i got i'd have to call him up and he'd have to add them in and i became a nuisance to the guy you know because obviously it was important to me it wasn't that important to him he was doing it for free so i couldn't complain so when i figured out a way to create my own website that was the one promise i made to myself i'm like it will the calendar will always be updated there won't be any um, discrepancies or anything. So, so yeah. a lot of times people will be like, are you open? And I'm thinking, just look at my website. I mean, that'll pretty much tell you if I'm available or not. Cause yeah. I really do keep it up to date. So thank yeah, you. Yeah, you are
1: you are kind of a unicorn in that respect because <laughs> there, there's not many that are. And the funny thing is, is you, you get a fan base, and I, I know you have a fan base and they want to know where you're at and when sure. when they can see you. And I'm sure the easiest thing to do is go to your website and look. Yeah. And guess what? They know where yeah. you're at.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's what I tell everybody. They're like, where, where are you gonna be? And I'm like, go to my website. That's all I don't know where I'm gonna be next week, but my yeah. website
1: <laughs> now thinking about your style of comedy because i i mean you do mix it up a little bit there's there's the family stuff there's you know a little bit of observational and there's some misdirects and things like that you kind of put it all together so it goes into uh, a, a cohesive hour yeah. and and mm-hmm. and uh it, i i I personally think that's difficult uh, because um, I I am starting to you know I made a decision. It's funny. I just talked to. Um Uh, Todd Glass last week about it. And, and I've, I told him, I don't want to make this podcast about me, but I've, I've decided that since uh, I'm moving 550 miles south, and um, I'm a new, I'm a new comedian where I'm at, um, I want to change it up a little bit. And I'm still going to be as as clean as clean can be i you know i don't i don't utter a four-letter word ever in my set even though i cuss like a sailor in real life (laughs) um i um i want to be a little bit weirder um because i'm kind of a weird guy and everything i've done has been that everybody compares me to like uh ray romano's material delivered by david letterman so i want to be a little bit weird i want to i want to edge towards emo phillips just a little bit i don't want to go all the way there but i want to be a little bit closer and a little andy kaufman-esque and stuff like that so i'm introducing some more of that stuff and i know that you have i mean you you've got some things that don't in if you look at them on paper, they don't necessarily fit, but you make them fit. So how, how did you develop your style and where, how did you get where you're at today?
0: Yeah, so I agree with that statement you made 100%. So when I first started, um, I was always a setup punchline guy, right? And, uh-huh. and- And people maybe didn't like the joke, but they always knew where they were supposed to laugh at the joke, right? Boom, set up, here's the punchline. And then as I started progressing in stuff, I saw different styles and I'm like, well, that guy's a storyteller and he's great at it. And I go, I just, just not my style. You know, I, I grew up listening to Rodney Dangerfield, obviously one of the best set up punchline guys ever. And he was Uh quick and it was jokes per, per minute, um, but as I started to get more comfortable on stage, then I, I incorporated some family stuff in there, some more true stuff rather than just a setup punchline. Um, mm-hmm. and, and as you get a family and as you progress, obviously you start making jokes about what you know, and, and family was what that was. Um, yeah. Then I I started to dabble a little bit into telling a story where I didn't really have a setup punchline, and it was a little bit difficult for me because I didn't know how to do it. And I'm like, I, but I need to have more laughs. And, and as I started to work it out on stage a little bit, I'm like, Oh, this actually works. Like I can do this. I just need to work a little bit harder at it. And, Mm. um, and I go, well, where's it going to fit in my set? I don't know. You know, my whole set is set up punchline, set up punchline, where do I put it? And I think it's just working it out on stage and finding the right spot for it to get those things to work. So, you know, I could tell a couple of really quick jokes up front but then I can maybe do a little bit of a story. But then I always get back to the really quick one, two, one, two, one, two stuff. And mm-hmm. then uh, I finish most of my sets with family stuff just because it's the it's the most personal to me. And, yeah. um, and people who have families, they really identify with it. I think I've gotten more compliments after my sets about – You know, people come up to me like, I love when you talk about your family, you know, and it's probably not the strongest stuff in my set, but it's definitely the the stuff that um, appeals to people and and they can identify with a lot more. So it was really, to answer your question, it was a learning phase for me. It was a try Mm -hmm. to figure it out and see where it works and and make Mm -hmm. it work. Um, but I do like the mix up that I have of different approaches. I have some, and and all that stuff. Um, you know, I try to, I try to do some audience interaction too, you know, um, fortunately I've hosted at Zanies for months at a time and Mm. you really start to hone your MC skills and your, your, uh, audience, uh, interaction skills when you get to do stuff like that. So, um, I try to put a little bit of that in every show as well.
1: Uh, and that kind of takes me to—I mean, this album's uh, a few years old now. I think Dibs came out in 2016, yep. but it's—I thought it was interesting that you. So, so some of your jokes. Uh, frankly, are a slow burn. They are something that it doesn't just pop and, and, and you laugh right away. You got to think about it a little bit. It, there's a little bit of thinky time there. And yeah. and um, I I enjoy that because uh, you had an audience there that um, you didn't have what I would call a stacked audience, which <laughs> means 100% Brian Hicks fans. No, and definitely not. Uh, and, um, they were getting to know you as you were recording the album and you called that out a few times. You're like, Hey, this is the type of comedian I am. And, sure. uh, yeah, and I really enjoyed that because that's different because a lot of albums, frankly, have that stacked audience and, uh, or can laughter or whatever. And, and they, uh, they, they don't need to do that. And you, uh, had enough nerve and you put yourself out there enough that you did that and i think that made the album better because of it
0: yeah i in fact when i recorded i don't remember inviting anybody out to the show um i invited the guy who was recording the album obviously um, yeah. but we always wanted it to be a true uh true audience i just you know here i i mean anybody, whether they're a comedian or not, you can invite a hundred of your friends out somewhere and and tell some (laughs) jokes and they're going to laugh. Um, so that really wasn't what I wanted. I definitely wanted a a true nightclub feel. You know, I talk about Rodney Dangerfield and he was incredible, but I listened to like a lot of his earlier stuff where it was a nightclub. And, and you can tell by the sound, there's 40 people in their tops, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It wasn't the, the Rodney that we all know and love, you know, he was, he was figuring himself out as well and uh, i just like the the sound of that real crowd and um you know not canned laughter or anything you just get the real whatever was going on that moment mm-hmm. that night that was really what you heard on the album
1: yeah yeah and i you know i, I it, it was it, it it was very refreshing because it, you just didn't get these gales of laughter at something that <laughs> I wanted wasn't them,
0: but i didn't get them
1: yeah i mean but but the, it, it felt like real comedy i guess as a comedian listening to another comedian it feels more like real life yeah, and, sure. and 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 you, you know you're in a set if you don't lose the audience a couple times then you're probably not breathing sure. um and or you're a robot or something like that and if you uh, are able to bring them back like you did in in that particular album it, it was really good and yeah, i thought thank it, you. Um, one thing I noticed, so getting into the dry bar special now, um, one of the bits that you did on dibs, you did on dry bar, and you made a subtle change to it. And I wrote down that change, and I can't remember what it is. It has something to do with your um, your daughter. Uh, your son was a good one, and your daughter was uh, kind of the rebel, and she wrote something on the wall, and, yeah. uh, and uh, something about... Uh, when she graduate uh, graduate class 2028 20, or something like that. And, yeah. and, and you changed it from, I was, I was proud that she, uh, that she was able to do that math to, it couldn't have been my son, because there's no way he can do that math. Sure. And it, it was funnier on, it was funnier on the um, dry bar, um, yeah. because you change that one little thing.
0: Yeah. So the, and those are things that you work out, you know, you, and, and what I do with my bits is if I have something and I feel it's, uh, you know, I, I know, I know it's a good bit and I know it's funny, but I'll always uh, mostly driving to and from gigs, I'll be thinking about it and I'll be like, can I change a word? Can I yeah flip this a little bit? Can I, can I maybe say this at the end instead of in the middle and will it, yeah. will it help work? So then I just experiment with it. And I think, in that, uh, you know, couple years in between those two tapings, um, I figured out a better way to make that joke work, and uh, yeah. I do that a lot with some of my jokes. In fact, um, a gentleman who just saw me perform. He had seen my dry bar and he's like, listen, I really liked it. And then I had worked with him for the first time and I did a joke and I changed just one word and it was really an insignificant word. It didn't have anything to do with the punchline, but I thought it appealed to the audience a little bit better. And he came up to me after the show and he said, Hey, I noticed that joke. You changed it from pool to darts. And, um, and I said, yeah. And he, and I go, I was like, "Wow, you noticed that!" Yeah. Like, I, it wasn't even for a laugh or anything. But I go, "This was the first time I ever changed it because as I was driving here, I thought that I say pool and I think people get confused because you could shoot pool, you can go swimming in a pool. So I yeah. changed it to darts because I thought that was just an easier um, transition for people to, you know." And that was the only reason I did it, but I'm always working yeah. on things like that just to get a better understanding and maybe help people understand. Cause it's difficult, you know, you're up there and you're trying to paint a picture to people. So you wanna make
1: it as easy as you, as you can, um, but it's not always that easy. Right, and and I, I think darts is funnier than pool. I don't know the joke, <laughs> but I, I darts, uh, it just has more impact to me and, and I like that. Um, So thinking about when you are working stuff out, obviously you have to, the only way you know something works is when you're on stage. And say you're headlining at at a club in Cedar Rapids, Iowa, or something like that, and um, you're, you're doing three shows over a weekend, and you wanna work some new stuff out, but you still wanna make sure the audience walks away happy and what percentage say say you've got you've got 20 minutes of new stuff that you want to work out or you've got 20 minutes of rework stuff that you want to work out and you are going to do an hour you're going to do 45 minutes uh three times that week what percentage of time would you slip in that new stuff and still be able to bring the audience back and they walk away happy
0: yeah so What I do is, the way I think about it, the club is always going to come first in that situation. Uh They booked me to come there to headline, to entertain an audience, right? So if it's a huge crowd, then I, I really stay away from most of the new stuff, unless they're really hot. And I'm like, let me just try this out and see. Uh, Uh Um, certainly get back on track. Um, But if it's a little smaller crowd or a little looser crowd, then I'll tend to mess around a little bit more and see Mm -hmm. if I can work some stuff out. But I I have the mindset to know that um, it's really still always about them. And if I feel like they are not having uh, the experience that they deserve or paid for because I'm trying out new stuff, then I, I switch gears and I just I make sure that they have a good time. I mean, that's always first and foremost in my mind
1: right and as far as crowd work goes you seem to me to be a genuinely curious person um, that you just want to learn about people and meet new people and have new experiences do you find that that helps in crowd work
0: uh, I think it does you know I, I I've heard comedians go uh, you know they're gonna go up and do a 10 minute set and they're gonna they're gonna be like uh, hey should I do some crowd work and I'm like that's not a question you ask. It's either going to happen or it's not going to happen. Yeah. You, you yeah. can't just purposely go out and do like, I'm going to do 10 minutes of crowd work. Um, so typically it'll be uh, some of the jokes that I have. I like to do a little bit of crowd work because they always lead into the joke. Um, but as I'm asking them questions, um, it, it could be you know, it could take a right turn and I could learn something and and go that way. Um, But typically Mm. anytime I go to the audience and ask them a question, um, it's because I'm trying to get to my joke, but I Mm. definitely love learning about them because you know, you've been on stage enough to know if you can get a laugh in a, in the moment like that, um, a riffer, uh, then it, it, you know, it brings the whole audience experience together. They're there yeah. live when it happens, like everybody's in the room. That's the first time that that, you know, has ever happened. So everybody right. definitely feels more, um, engaged.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, I want to go back to dry bar because I've probably talked to probably seven or eight people that have, uh, done a dry bar and they're in various stages of either getting it released or it's been released. And, um, and, uh, I really, I I think what they're doing at dry bar is really cool, um, for both you and them, but it's a very interesting situation because if you took your, if you took your act from, uh, the dibs album, and you did on dry bar um they would cut probably yeah. 33% of it out. Yeah. Um yeah, simply okay. because of rules and regulations, you know, yeah. you can't dish your wife too much, you yeah. can't talk about alcohol, you can't you, you I mean there there's a very strict um list of rules. However, they uh, from what I hear they treat you pretty good and yeah. and they treat you um, great, they really do. Right. And you're performing uh, in front of a group of people that don't have any drinks in hand. They don't even have a caffeinated beverage. Um, and and, yeah. and uh, it's really on you to do well. And I watched it and you did well. And I, I really think that it's um, it's it's kind of almost changing the face of comedy a little bit. Do you feel that way?
0: Yeah, I think they they definitely have a, a great platform. Um, they've came up with come up with a great concept to be able to, you know, to to fly comics out there for one day. I mean, I went out on a Friday. I recorded two sets. Saturday mm-hmm. they had two uh, two different shows, so they had another three different comics on their Saturday recording mm-hmm. sets. Um, you know, you get an unbelievable um, video out of it. The the quality of the sound yeah. and. The, the visual is great. So, um, uh, mm-hmm. just for that reason, I would have probably done it anyway, you know, just to have that, but then they yeah. paid you on top of it. And, um, then they, they have a definitely a higher fan base and a platform to be able to push that stuff out to get a lot of more, um, followers and stuff, which it was quite a boost when they started, um, releasing the clips on, Inst- you know, I wake up one morning and I got, you know, 15 <laughs> new followers on Instagram and I'm like, Oh, what is this? What is this, spam? Somebody spamming, you know, yeah. <laughs> and then I, I didn't know that they released anything and then I log in and then I see and I go, oh, that makes sense now, you know, um, right. so I think it uh, definitely is changing the way a lot of um, uh, different uh, outlets are, are kind of releasing stuff like that, but they really did a pretty good job of jumping on it early and, and getting it out there and they got quite a name and a following for themselves now.
1: Yeah, I, I am continually astounded by what they put out and, and they, you know, they get uh, they, they get folks that are more household names. Like, you know, one of my favorites is Bob Zaney and, (laughs) and, and, in the Midwest, if you don't know who Bob Zaney is, and you've never been to a comedy club, yeah, and you've never sure. listened to, like, Bob and Tom or anything, like that, you, yeah. you've you been under a rock. And, and you know, they, they did him, and, you know, and then they do some lesser-known folks, too, just because they're funny. And I know that's got to be a springboard for him to be able to get more work and... I I don't want to get preachy here, but um, I am totally for alt comedy and I'm totally for um, getting as dirty as you can get and still be funny and being edgy and being political and all that kind of stuff. But I totally understand the fact that they created this as a safe space for their audience. Yeah. Um, And, and then by doing that, they've, reached a bigger audience of people who just want to laugh. Yeah,
0: I agree. I, and I think, um, you know, I'm, I'm like you, I'm a fan of all comedy. Um, you know, mm-hmm. Bill Burr is probably one of my favorite comedians yeah. right and, and, you know, other than him and Chappelle, you know, they touch on some of the most sensitive topics ever, but they make them incredibly funny. Right. Um, but dry bar is, they don't, they, that's not what their audience is. You know, they want, they their audience wants to be able to go there and, and not worry about, um, touching on something that's a little crazy like that, you know, yeah. and I, I give them credit for that. Um, I'm a fan of the other style as well. Um, but their audience, they know what they want and they, they, they know what they want to um, provide for them. So, um, you know, kudos for that. I mean, they've really built a built an empire on, on that.
1: Yeah. And, You know, there's like this clean comedy renaissance happening. You know, I think Gaffigan kind of started it and uh is really, really leaning into it. And the funny thing is, is I've been to uh, two Bargetsy shows. And when you look at the audience makeup, it's everything from, you know, like 12 year old kids (laughs) all the way up to my age biker dudes, because just because it's funny and 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 that's really what comedy is all about is just being funny. And, 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 and um, I think that, you know, I, I really have to applaud Drybar for what they're doing because it's, you know, you, you got, you got some great video out of it. You got some great sound clips out of it. And, and, and you did a day's work and you got paid for it.
0: Yeah, I agree. Um, it, it's a really incredible. And it's definitely a boost to be able to throw that, you know, a clip on the website and, Uh, be able to put that in any kind of promo or anything you're sending out. Um, You know, bookers will look at stuff like that too. And they'll definitely help if you're trying to get into someplace new. Um, You know, bookers have a, they get a hundred emails a day of people looking to come and work their club, you know, so they got to choose out of that and figure out who they want to represent their, their venue. So Um, anything you can have that you can put out there that'll help. And they do, they do do an incredible job with it. Just editing and everything. Um, It's only going to help matters, you know?
1: Right. Right. No doubt. So, uh, you know, obviously when you started comedy, you were um, you, you didn't have a family to worry about. And, and, and now you do, you know, and uh, I, I mean you do that joke uh, where you're, you're, your wife, uh, text you and says, uh, I hope all your days get canceled and you have to come yeah, home. Sure. <laughs> and, and, um, how, how are you able to balance that as uh, a, a family man and, uh, somebody who wants to get out there and, and get the work done too?
0: Yeah. So having a supportive wife is really huge. She's, uh, she's been incredible. Um, you know, when we first met, um, I was single. So we met through comedy and mm-hmm. obviously we got married and we have three children now and it wasn't always easy. But, um, uh, as I alluded to earlier, you know, being in the Midwest, there were uh, quite a few opportunities to be able to work and then still come home at night. Uh, right. and honestly, the, when the babies were younger, the schedules kind of worked out because I would be coming home at one o'clock in the morning. And the kids would be getting up to be fed. So then I would do that thing and my wife would continue sleeping because they would go up in the morning. So, um, oddly, (laughs) oddly (laughs) it worked from a comedian standpoint, which usually doesn't, you know, because there's nothing normal about a comedian's, um, schedule or, or, you know, work-life balance, but, um, it, it worked out. And uh, being in the Midwest definitely helped by, uh, you know, I I also called in a couple of favors, you know, um, establishing those, uh, um, relationships with people. So as my wife was pregnant and, and getting close to, um, giving birth, I would, you know, Hey, can I do this month here at this local, you know, uh, venue that way I knew I was close to home and if, right. if emergency, I could easily, you know, run out and stuff. So, um, I was very fortunate and a lot of people uh, helped me out through, you know, um, well, I have a set of twins, so that was one pregnancy. Yeah. Well, obviously my older daughter. So,
1: yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, that's it the whole family thing I, you know, I, I obviously started late in life uh, you know I started when I was 52 but if I think about doing it when the kids were young and I, 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 I can't even imagine it because uh, my wife and I have been because <laughs> of this move we've been separated for you know up to three weeks at a time sure. and it's the most time we've spent apart oh, since yeah. we've been we started dating and it's 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 not like weird but it's just uh it's bad it's like you know i you know i we miss each other and and it's 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 tough to um go through that but i mean it's getting better obviously because she i'll see her as of this weekend forever Uh, but uh that whole traveling schedule and stuff like that um but the hard part is is I've talked to a lot of L.A. and New York comics, and what they have to do to be able to afford to stay in L.A. and New York is come to the Midwest and do shows.
0: (laughs) Well, and you know why I think that is, too, is because uh, I'm not so sure L.A., but I I think New York, uh, most of them are showcase rooms, right? So they go up and they do a 20-minute set, and they get paid know x amount of dollars where you come to the midwest they they're it's still a three-man show it's a host and a feature yeah. and a headliner and a headliner is yeah. doing 45 minutes to an hour and they're getting paid you know accordingly and yeah. I, I don't know if they have that at all the clubs i know most of them don't on both the coasts but yeah i mean it's if you want to work as a comedian the midwest is where it's at um but you know with uh I think the longest period of time I've ever had to be away from my family was six days. And uh-huh. it, it was like at the, the, that sixth day, I mean, I was like, I gotta get home. You know? Yeah, yeah. I'm like, it was, <laughs> it was driving me crazy. And I know there are other comedians who it, they're two and three weeks on the road, you know, they're not working the whole time, but in order to connect something together, yeah. they'll you know, go here for four days. Put themselves up for a couple of days, then they go down here, whatever. Unfortunately, I, I haven't had to do that in six days. I I went on tour with uh, Michael Carbonaro from the Carbonaro Effect, and uh-huh. we did a, a six-city tour. You know, started in South Bend, Indiana, and then we went down to Florida for four days. Ended up in North Carolina, and uh, yeah, it was um, it was great experience. But at the same time, it, you miss your family and uh, yeah. If you don't have a family, I could see it's probably a lot easier to do. But once you do have a family, yeah, it's tough.
1: yeah, yeah, for sure. So thinking about uh, favorite clubs because you've you've been around the Midwest quite a bit. Uh, you know, other than Zanies, let's let us let us take <laughs> Zanies out of it. What are some of the favorite clubs that you've done through the Midwest?
0: Yeah, so um, I would have to say there's an improv that's in Schaumburg outside of Chicago. Um, uh-huh. I don't even know if it's a club, it's a venue, you know, it's a 500 seater and it it doesn't feel like a club. It feels like a bigger stage. Um, that's a beautiful club. You know, I've done a lot of the funny bones and stuff across Uh the Midwest. They're all wonderful clubs. Um, Dr. Grins in Grand Rapids, um, great club. I remember, I don't, I haven't done it in a while, but, uh, the comedy, uh, uh, comedy club on state in madison wisconsin was always just an incredible they
1: always just get uh-huh. the best
0: crowds and everything
1: yeah have you ever done the comedy attic in blooming bloomington i, I, I might have done a showcase there
0: one time passing uh-huh. through um, but i've never been booked there for a week
1: it's very it's a very similar setup to dr grins and okay. uh, uh dr grins hasn't reopened yet and i'm i'm i i hope they do because i did a yeah. I did their funniest person in grand Rapids contest right before the pandemic. And I really, really enjoyed that stage. And yeah. it was, it was, it was the first time that I ever worked in a comedy club that was like completely set up to be a comedy club. And, yeah. and, and, uh, uh, the addict, the comedy addicts, a lot like that too. They're, and, um, I know it's the favorite of, a lot of big folks to, uh, work out their material. I know Marin goes there and I think Chappelle goes there and stuff. And yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's a really cool venue and both my kids went to IU. So I got to see, see a few things there. So yeah, it's really cool. So thinking about being, where you're at with the with the dry bar special and um we're out of the pandemic now and one of the things i know is comedy clubs are hopping right now because everybody wants to get out how do you feel that is going to do you think that's gonna that's gonna keep at the same pace or is it is it start going to start to go back to normal or how, yeah. how do you feel the whole comedy scene is going to be
0: so i, I have uh I, I think people are really appreciating being able to go out and enjoy comedy um, mm-hmm. i also think that some people are going out and overindulging a little bit <laughs> because they haven't been out in so long so yes. they, don't know how to, they don't know how to behave anymore um, yeah. I hope that that definitely settles down a little bit um, yeah. But I think that there's definitely going to be a genuine um, gratefulness for live comedy, live shows of anything, you know, I mean, yeah I locked down for so long and, you know, you couldn't go to your friend's house, let alone uh, go out and enjoy any kind of live theater or anything like that. So right. I think there's going to be a little bit of a boom. And from what I've seen in Chicago, uh, comic, uh, like a lot of the younger comics are. Um, you know they're they're out there and they're hitting as many mics as they can every single night um, mm. you know they post them whether they're paid shows or not Um yeah. getting up on stage they want people to know about it um, yeah. so just throwing all that out there so I definitely um, I think there would be a little bit of a, a a boom I guess if you will um, or a, an appeal to get back out to clubs and do things that people enjoy doing you know live comedy there's nothing that could be said you can't You don't get it from watching it on TV or Netflix for sure. When you're in the club and you feel the energy and everything, you know, from the comedian's standpoint and the audience's standpoint, there's really nothing like it if it's a good show. If it's a bad show, there's also nothing like
1: it. Yeah, yeah. I just notice on this stupid camera, I look like I'm looking off to my side all the time (laughs) when I'm looking at you, so uh, I can't change that. So no, you're fine. Whatever. Yeah. Also, the lighting's terrible. I look as old as I am, so. (laughs) that kind of stinks. Um, so one of the things I do like to ask folks that, uh, is kind of a stock question because you've been in the business long enough. What are three things that you know now that you wish you would have known when you started? All
0: right. So three things. Um, so I was fortunate enough. I mentioned to you that I worked at a comedy club right before yeah. I became a comedian, yeah. which I think was very helpful to me and, and was also some things that I passed along to other people um, because I know how when they were coming to the club I worked at, I know how I wanted to be treated. I was a door mm-hmm. guy, right? But these yeah. were celebrities coming in here. So I didn't want them to ignore me. I didn't want to wait on them hand and foot. I would have, but I didn't want to do that. So yeah. I think um, respecting the wait staff and and um, just respecting the club itself is huge. Um, I, I probably, you know, more more than I can count clubs where a comedian, even a headliner would go up there and start making fun of the club and it'd get big laughs and everything. But I'd look over yeah. at the owner and the owner's like, what are you, why are you doing this? You don't have an act, you know, do your act. Don't, don't rip on my plants over here or the yeah. wall or whatever. I go, do your act. You know? So that's probably one thing. Don't rip on um, things. The other thing is, you know, those people who you meet As you do frequent these clubs, they may be booking that club in three years. So, you know, if you you disrespect them now, don't expect to get booked by them in three years. Um, I saw, I've seen a lot of that kind of happen as the years go on. Um, So I think if you just have the general rule of thumb, just be nice to everybody, then you should be doing all right. Um, I think the last thing is a, a, a piece of advice that somebody gave me when I started and I really held it to heart is, you know, everybody wants to progress, you know, you want to host shows, but then you want to jump to the feature spot because, you know, Mm -hmm. it's a better spot and you get paid a little bit more money, you get more time and that's great. And obviously you move to headliner, but um, he told me, he said, you know, you start out as an MC, a host of a show, and then obviously you move up to a feature act or, you know, opener, and then you move on to headlining shows. And then where do you go from there? And Mm -hmm. ultimately maybe you get your own TV show and guess what? You're hosting shows again. You know what I mean? You're you're doing the tonight show. You're the host again. So (laughs) learn those hosting skills. uh, They're second to none because even if you're not hosting a show or you don't think you're going into it to be a host,
1: many Uh times
0: you do these one nighters. You go in, you're the host of the show. You know, you're, yeah, you're doing 30 minutes, but you need to start the show and you need to get them engaged to be able to listen to the show. So, um, yeah, that's definitely a piece of advice that. I, I, I tell people now, so I, I headline all over. I feature uh, still to this day and yeah. I'll be hosting a whole month out at uh, zanie's in uh, Rosemont in August um, uh, one, because it helps me work on new material and I don't feel that pressure of being in the headliner spot and having to make these people, you know, having to bring it home every night, you know, yeah. I could throw new jokes and work them out and then to audience participation and um, don't ever – uh having the ability to host a show you'll always have work whether you're a comedian or not i can go and host i can go and host an auction event right now if i wanted to just because i have (laughs) those skills you know
1: yeah yeah And, and and that's great it's funny uh kind of a call back to the, uh, the improv in Schaumburg. I, I went there, of uh, and saw a show and I won't tell you which three comedians were there, but I don't know if it was the audience or if it was the comedians and it's a 500 seater and there's probably 150 tickets sold. Sure. It was, uh, on a holiday weekend and everybody bombed. Yeah. And, uh, and, one thing that new comedians don't understand is uh it doesn't matter how nice the club is or it doesn't matter who the audience is you're gonna bomb sometimes and it, it just it the chemistry just isn't there and no matter how good the joke is it just ain't gonna work
0: yeah yeah absolutely i've done i've done the same sets you know, an early show and a late show. And I had a meeting out of my hand, the early show. And then a uh-huh. hundred new people come in for the late show. And I do that same set and they're staring at me like these are brand new jokes, and I've never done them before. And I'm like, how yeah. do all these people Like, how did you not get mixed up with even half the crowd from the early? How is is that hundred people in that show and this hundred people in this show? And I mean, that just goes to tell you that it's 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 a vibe. It's an energy in the room. It could be anything. It could be me. It could be them. But it's definitely for it to work. It all has to be on the same page and it all has to be together.
1: Right. Right. So, um, obviously you've got things coming up, coming up. The dry bar special is out. Um, and uh, first of all, how can people find your dry bar special? Uh,
0: so if they go to my website, which is funnybrianhicks.com, um, in my bio page, I have a, uh, snapshot of my dry bar special, and there's a little mm-hmm. link right there that'll take you right to the special. So then I have to search around for it.
1: Mm-hmm. And it's always good to watch the whole thing and put a little heart um uh, by all the all the different segments. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, that's very important the, 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 to me
0: because I go through and I count all those hearts every night before
1: yeah. I go to bed. <laughs> and, and so does Dry Bar. <laughs> I'm, sure. I'm sure they do. <laughs> that's a metric they they like they like their metrics so um and and what else do you have going on um uh, shows and things like that
0: yeah sure so i'm doing a theater out in Bryan, ohio this saturday um as i mentioned i'm hosting the whole month of uh, august out in zanies and rosemont um i've got some confirmation on some uh, michael carbonaro dates coming up for the fall those are obviously Mm -hmm. the bigger theaters and stuff and uh these are some shows that have been postponed from obviously 2020 and then even early 2021. Um, So I think Uh that we're going to be getting back to doing those tours, which is great. Um, uh, That's just a, you know, from a for a kid who was standing in the back of a comedy club, you know, telling people I would never go up there. That's ridiculous. There's 50 people that could do yeah. anything at any time to be able to <laughs> open these shows at these two thousand three thousand seat theaters um, for this guy who's been very grateful uh, or gracious to to let me do it is an, un, unbelievable. Yeah. It's a great experience. This definitely doesn't a club, you
1: know and carbonaro i mean obviously he's unique but he's also timeless he can he can do you know t- 20 years from now his stuff will still sure. be relevant
0: you know he's in, he's incredibly funny too and i don't think he gets credit for that on his tv show because he has to play the straight character you know yeah um but his live show i mean he's as quick as any comedian i've ever worked with and yeah. uh, you know he'll he'll He'll, he'll go, he'll go off the side a little bit. He won't stick to the script all the time. If, if there's something right. that pops into his head, he, he throws it out there. So um, it's really yeah. incredible. And so it's, it's an all ages show, family show. So it's pretty cool.
1: Yeah, that's cool. So final thing, um, one thing that you would tell a new comedian right after you saw him do a pretty good five yeah. minutes, what, what, what would you tell them to give them some advice? Yeah,
0: so uh, anytime I see somebody do well, I always say great job, you know, that's what I wanted to hear when I was coming up. And, you know, uh-huh. I, you, you know, if you did a good job, you pretty much know, but there were many times where I would, I, I was like, wow, that was a great set. And then I would listen to the recording on the way home and I'm like, that was horrible. You know, yeah. it sounds different live <laughs> than it does on tape. Um, and as, as uh, you mentioned it earlier in the uh, interview, you know, you hate listening to yourself talk uh, yeah. and, and I do too, but I record uh-huh. every single set that I do and yeah. I think that's that's vital. It's important to hear those little things that work and the little things that don't work. You know what your joke right. is. You know what you want to say, but maybe there's a timing. Maybe there's an inflection in your voice that you do it differently. Maybe there's a pause. Um, those are all things that I think you really learn from to be able to put the joke together and make it work, work well. Um, you know, the last thing is just Get up on stage as often as you can because i don't think you i don't think i was I, there's still times i get on stage i'm not 100 comfortable but a lot mm. of times i get up there and i'm pretty comfortable and this is 20 years later you know so yeah if i'm five years in i'm not comfortable yet i know i'm not comfortable yeah no doubt i might think i'm comfortable <laughs> but i'm not comfortable yet
1: and the funny thing about recording yourself, there's some nuances there. You can tell when the audience is the the whole energy is just sucked out of the room because yeah. you said something wrong. Oh. And, and it's not audible, but it's it's almost like it's more than silence. It's it, it, it's it's like uh, silence times two. Sure, it's a reverse. And it, it you re- yeah, you really know when it's screwed up well brian i gotta say it's really been great talking to you and uh it, it's nice to talk to the guy that michael palisak likes <laughs> so much yeah well,
0: um, <laughs> I, I admire i admire mike very highly he's a uh, He's not only one of the funniest guys working today, but he's the mo- one of the most genuine people I've ever met. And,
1: he is, uh, yeah. You yeah. can't yeah. get
0: Mike to say a bad word about anybody, and I try. I always try. I say, hey, I know. Bad, I know. But, <laughs> but he won't do it, and I respect him for that. <laughs> um, but thanks for having me. This is awesome. If there's one thing I enjoy is talking comedy, no matter who, and I think that's part of the allure for me for doing comedy is to hang out after the show and be able to you know, talk with people who uh, – Uh, have things in common with me and stuff. So I appreciate you having me on.